Those of you that are remaining can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to continue our study of that book. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 2 and 3. This is the Word of God. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. We ask that you send him out in our midst, that as we hear your words, they would come into our hearts, they would change our affections, they would transform our experiences so that we can turn towards our neighbor, turn towards our fellow Christians, and turn towards you. Do what we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you have said this phrase before, if you only understood where I was coming from, you would agree with me. I have very distinct memories of saying this to my, my parents multiple times, or if not saying it, at least thinking it, like, Mom, Dad, if you just understood, we would agree. We'd be on the same page. And the, and the funniest part about this is I have seen in my own children, you know, sometimes you can see what people are thinking. I've seen in my own children them having the same thought. Dad, if you would just understand where I'm coming from, we would agree. We'd be on the same page. Needless to say, that's not often or even always or it's, it's almost never true, right? Conflicts come from very real, for real, very real reasons, from very real places. And conflicts happen all the time in any kind of relationship. So we shouldn't be surprised when we have conflicts within the church. But the thing about conflicts inside the church body is that there's a, a greater guiding purpose, principle, story that should inform those. Because if, if we are together in Christ, there is immeasurably more that unites us than divides us. Certainly there are divisions. Certainly there are differences. There are different opinions. There are different ways of approaching things. There are different experiences. But if you are a Christian and you are in relationship with another Christian, there is immeasurably more that unites you to your fellow Christian than could ever divide you. So what do we do with that when we see conflict in the church? We have this example of Yodia and Syntyche that Paul writes to. And so we're going to see what was their problem. What was the issue going on there? And we're going to see how, how Paul points them to the things that they have in common as a solution. And we're going to see how we, as well, can share in that same solution. 
First, what was this problem that they had? Paul says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's pleading with them, please agree in the Lord. But what, what are they disagreeing about? What's the issue? What's going on? We don't know. That's, that's the short answer. We, we, we don't know. Paul doesn't give any details here. What we do know is that when Paul names names in Scripture, when he says something specific to a specific person, he does it for an important, emphatic reason. Positively or negatively, when he uses someone's specific name, he is saying it for emphasis. Often when he, when he has the, the harshest things to say about people, he doesn't even name them. He just condemns them with anonymity. But, but when he names names, it is important, and he wants his listeners to understand what is happening. And we see that his words are kind of blunt and direct. It's, it's not nuanced here. He just says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's just getting straight to the point. Agree in the Lord. We know that the conflict was, was significant enough and was sustained enough that, that Paul heard about this thousands of miles away. Maybe Epaphroditus brought news like, Paul, Yodia, and Syntyche are just, they are at loggerheads. But he's heard about this, and, and it's significant enough that he feels the need to address it in this letter that was going to be read to the entire church. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche. And notice how he pleads with each one individually. He doesn't say, hey, Yodia, Syntyche, I entreat you both. He turns to Yodia. Yodia, I entreat you, agree. Syntyche, I entreat you. He turns to both of them, giving them equal weight, but he asks them to agree in the Lord. He doesn't take a side. He doesn't give details. He just says to agree in the Lord. Paul did not see this as a gospel issue. We've seen over and over again in this letter, you see over and over again in Paul's letters that if it is a gospel issue, he is going to bring it up. He's going to address the details. He's going to confront it head on. He doesn't do that here. He doesn't give us any details at all. He doesn't condemn either one of them for their sin. So we can see that it's not a sin issue that they were divided over, but it is leading to sinful division. And you take this with the fact that, that later on he, he appeals to them as, as co-laborers. We can see that there was some kind of substantive, practical ministry or, or wisdom issue that Yodia and Syntyche were disagreeing about. I think the church should minister in this way. Or I think it's best to, to have this kind of, of way of living. Not an issue of, of the foundational truths of, of God's word or the gospel, but a disagreement on how do we apply this? How does this work itself out? This is not, as I've often heard, just a petty quarrel or they're just having a little cat fight, right? How many times have I heard someone describe this conflict as like, well, you know, women in the church, they're just going to disagree. That is so dismissive and rude, that does not at all treat them with the, the weight and the respect that the apostle Paul gives them here. This is a serious issue. This isn't just children in the backseat arguing over the armrest. This is a serious issue. 
And sometimes we treat this as just a cat fight because we look at the conflicts we have and we recognize these aren't really serious. But, but look, they had the same kind of unsubstantive issues. That's not the case here. This is a serious issue. But like them, we have the same problem. Substantive or not, we have conflict with others in the church. Sometimes it's, it's a very real, important issue. How are we best to minister to the community around us? What does it look like for us to, to worship in the best way? I prefer this, and I prefer this. How, how should you best educate your children? What does it look like to be a biblical man or to be a biblical woman? And how often do the, the ways that we describe these things, the ways that we lift them up, the standards we set, often look a lot like us? Well, I am the standard here. The way I educated my children, the way I live out my manhood or my womanhood, the way I would like to worship. We all have this problem of conflict with others in the church. And so Paul is addressing it head on, directly, naming these women. I entreat you to agree in the Lord. This is, a, this is sort of a, a specific application of what he said earlier in chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there is any connection at all to Jesus, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is what Paul is calling Yodia and Syntyche to do. But how does he do it? They have this common problem, and he addresses it by pointing them to things that they have in common. The first of which is that they have a common master. He doesn't just say, agree. He says, agree in the Lord. This, this word agree has the, the idea of thinking the same thoughts, having the same principles, the same, same goals in mind. Not, not that you, you are exactly identical, but that you are, are resting on the same foundation, that you have the same master. You are both united to the Lord Jesus Christ, and as such, he guides both of you. And so he says, agree in the Lord. Even as he said earlier in chapter 2, after the verses I just read, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. They have this mind because they are in Christ, because he is their master. He uses this word over and over again in this letter. Later on, he says, you had concern for me. It's the same word, this, this union, union of, of what they care about. He wants the Philippians to care about the same kinds of things. This shared union in Christ that flows from the shared Holy Spirit and the shared master gives them a shared mind and shared priorities and principles. See, often we don't want to say, agree in the Lord. 
We want to say, I am your Lord. But I am not your Lord. And you are not my Lord. We share the same common Lord and Master. And that Master was not a selfish, self-serving Master. But he was a servant who, being found in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We have a common master, and that master was a servant. Even as we heard earlier from 1 John 4, what does our master command of us? What does our master want us to do? To love one another. That is what our master is calling us to. And so often we can take disagreements we have and we can try to push our opinion into the Godhead and say, you're not disagreeing with me. You're a heretic because God says, I mean, you don't have to listen to me. You have to listen to Jesus, but I talked to Jesus and we agree. That's kind of the attitude we take to it. But again, I am not your Lord. You are not my Lord. We have a common Lord and Master. And Paul points them to that Lord and Master to agree. You have this common Master, follow after Him. But He also appeals to their common work. He's, he's, he's very blunt with them, and you, can, you almost see this bluntness comes from experience. He knows Yodia. He knows Syntyche, so he cuts straight to the point. He knows they can take it. He knows how they operate. He's worked alongside them before. It's significant here that he calls them co-laborers. It's very likely that these two women were leading members of the church. Maybe they were even part of this group of women that Paul and his companions came across when they first came to Philippi. And they went down to the river and they found a group of women praying. Maybe they were part of that. Maybe not. We don't know exactly, but we, we can see that they labored side by side with Paul. They labored side by side with Paul. You can, you can read this as they, they struggled alongside Paul. This isn't just, hey, we threw a potluck and Yodi and Syntyche helped us out. They struggled alongside Paul. They labored side by side with him in the gospel. And maybe this surprises us a little bit. Maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable with it. We, we would really prefer if, if you could give a clear explanation of exactly what Yodia did and exactly what Syntyche's role was and, and what position did they have in the church, but Paul doesn't tell us. He says, they labored side by side with me in the gospel. Maybe we need to sit in that fact a little bit. That Paul was more than happy to work alongside and minister alongside and celebrate these women. And consider how we could be willing to do the same. But he brings this up to point to the fact that there is something bigger 
than their disagreement. There is a, a grander, higher vision that Christ gives his people, and he is pointing them to that, that he has called Paul, that he has called Clement, and Epaphroditus, and Timothy, and Yodia, and Syntyche to the same task, to know Christ and to make him known. He's pointing them to the expansion, not of our own kingdoms, but of Christ's kingdom. This is the common work that they share, that he is pointing them to. He's like, this is what your focus should be. Not whatever the disagreement was about, but, but this work of the gospel that you labored side by side with me to accomplish. And not only them, he, he references this true companion. We don't know who the true companion is. Maybe it was Epaphroditus, although Epaphroditus was also a co-author of the letter and he carried it. And so, we, you know, maybe it was Luke. Luke, we think, was in Philippi. Maybe it was Lydia, this, this prominent woman also in the Philippian church. Maybe it was someone else entirely. Some scholars even, scholars even think it, it was a general call to the whole church. When he says true companion, he's like, hey, fellow church member, you help these women. He's calling all people to this work. That's why he mentions Clement. All hands on deck. Group effort to resolve this agreement, this disagreement, to bring about agreeing in the Lord. Jeff mentioned earlier that we had our session retreat this past few days, and I'm telling you, you all are blessed with this session that you have. Just the, the uh, immense agreement that we had without uniformity. There, was, there were things that we differ on, sometimes very substantive things, but the, the, the joint effort, the, the unity in our pursuit of the kingdom of God and His work. And we do this in other areas. We put aside secondary conflicts, secondary concerns for the greater kingdom work and work even across denominational lines. We do this with CareNet and other ministries that we have. But how often are we unwilling to work with others unless we can control the dynamics? Unless someone who shares our theological commitments is running the show. Paul points them to their common work as a way to agree in the Lord. But finally, he also points them to their common salvation. See, the most fundamental thing about these women is something they share with all Christians, that their names are written in the book of life. This is the core thing that is true about these women, that their names are written in the book of life. That is, God is their God, and they are his people. You see this, this concept throughout Scripture in the Psalms and Revelation where, where those who are God's people have their name enrolled among the righteous, have their name written in the book of life, and it will not be blotted out. He appeals to their common salvation, along with all these other people that he mentions. Your names are written in the book of life, so agree in the Lord. A little bit of a Bible quiz for you. Do you guys know what the Israelites were arguing about as they were passing through the Red Sea? 
Do you know what the Israelites were arguing about as they were passing through the Red Sea? The answer is absolutely nothing because they were being saved. They were being saved. We are being saved together. We are co-heirs being adopted together into the family of God. We will be together in eternity. It is not just to say, hey, you're going to be stuck together, so you might as well get along now. It's, we are moving in the same direction. We are seeking to live out the same identity that we have been saved, that we are in Christ, that we are being conformed more and more to his image. God is calling us. He's asking us to have the same patience and grace and mercy with others that we want for ourselves. How often is it that we want grace when we struggle, when we, we're trying to do our best, but we just can't, can't get there, but when someone else messes up, it's like, no, absolutely not. You should have known better. Do we have that same patience with them? And the other outflow of this point that we share a common salvation is that this is a corporate matter. This is a corporate issue. This is not something that can just be isolated to a couple people. This is a corporate issue whether it's made one or not because we are connected. We share a common salvation. And the, the issues that, that some members have will corrode and infect and bring about more pain and conflict and division to other parts of the church. I had a friend that I, I graduated from college with, and we were both stayed in the same town. He actually bought Jeff's house, uh, and he, he installed some, some built-in shelves in one of the rooms, and he'd lived there for a couple years. And then he, he had an issue where a, a little bit on one side of the wall, they was starting to get a little spongy, which if you've ever dealt with sheetrock is not a good idea. Sheetrock should not be spongy. And so I was working for a general contractor at the time, and, and I was basically the glorified gopher, and he said, go over there, cut open the wall, let's see what we can find. And what had happened was, as he installed the shelf, he had drilled straight into a pipe. Now the screw was still in there, right? So there's just a little bit of water getting out. But that water slowly spread down the whole wall and affected something 10 feet away. Just a little print brick. Conflict in the church can do the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's all the way over there. It can be a slow flood out to affect others. And so Paul is stressing here, as one scholar put it, the idea of militant unity in the midst of unbelief and hostility in the world. I like that idea of militant unity, right? You're not passively militant. You are actively militant. But what does that look like? What, what does this mean for us that we are to look to these things that we have in common? And the first thing I want you to, to hear is that you should be encouraged hearing this passage. You should be comforted that there were real people whose names we know, Yodia and Syntyche, living in a real church several thousand years ago who had the same real problems we are having today. 
That should be encouraging to us, that one, we're not that different, we're not that odd, but that the Lord has a solution. And that's another thing that we need to admit, is that if we are going to hope to resolve conflict in the church, if we're going to try to find unity in the midst of division, we need to admit that it's impossible. That for two people who are sinful, who are living in a, in a culture, in a world that is full of sin, that is screaming at them to be selfish and to put their own interests first, that it is going to be impossible for any kind of unity to flow from that without the work of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So what do we do? The first thing I want you to see is that it is common solution. This is a, a solution that involves all of us. The emphasis in these verses is, is on a, a corporate responsibility to help with this relational issue. Elsewhere, Paul uses the image of, of the church as a body. And if your left hand was repeatedly poking your left eye, you wouldn't say to yourself, hey, that's between them. You'd use your other parts of your body to take control of that, Right? This doesn't mean that we, we meddle or, or, heaven forbid, that we gossip, but it means coming alongside people and pointing them to these things we share in common, a common master, a common work, a common salvation, to come together and say, look what we have in common. If you are a member here at Calvary, you took a vow. You promised to study, to pursue this church's purity and peace. And this is what it involves. We'll notice here, behind these statements of Paul's, though, that there's a lot of relational capital. He knows these women. He has worked alongside of them. And so he can come to them and address them pointedly because he knows who they are, what they're like, what they care about. Maybe you are here and you're like, I don't have conflict with people in the church. But it's because you don't really know anyone in the church. Maybe you're here like, I I feel this. I feel the division and the conflict in my own heart. But it's because you don't really know people here. You don't have the same shared ministry foundation of, I have worked alongside that person. And I know what they're like. And I know that they love the Lord. Do you know your fellow church members, the people sitting in the seat next to you? And what would it look like, if the answer is no, to change that? To walk across the room, to find someone who maybe is a little bit different than you, and get to know them and to work alongside them. And this is, this is, not, this is not to browbeat, like, you need to be doing better, because I need to be doing better as well. But, but instead, because if, if this is you, you are missing out on what God has for you. He is inviting us. He is calling us into his thing, showing us the door to this beautiful kingdom life where we are all working together for his kingdom, united, not, not conformed to the same exact, we all have to share everything in common, we look exactly the like, we, we have the same preferences, but that we are all united and heading for the same goal. And so if you do have conflict with someone, don't wait. Don't sit in it, don't stew in it, but address it. 
and with humility and with, with gentleness and with love, go to that person and address it. And if, if someone comes to you to address something, receive it in humility and in gentleness and in love. Maybe part of this is we need to have better imagination. We need to have a better imagination to consider, one, their perspective. Not in a condescending way, but, but where are they coming from? What, what are the things that they care about that is causing them to think this way? To, to have an imagination for what would a compromise look like? What, what are the things that we, we could absolutely agree on and build from there? have an imagination for whether or not this conflict is resolved, what does it look like for me to walk faithfully in love, ministering alongside this person that I have this disagreement with? We need to have humility to see that that our common problem is that we both want to be Lord. We want to do what we think is best, that we have the better idea. And we need to have humility about that and instead turn to our common master and Lord. See, the existence of conflict and the existence of differences in the church is proof positive of the the beauty and the magnificence and the unity that Christ's people have. If there was no power in the union we have with Christ, then as soon as there's a difference, you'd be out the door. If there was no, no comfort and, and, and knitting together in the Spirit, then as soon as someone disagreed with me, I'm done with you. But there is power in the Spirit of God that He unites us to His Son and He unites us together. So maybe you are here and you've been a member of Calvary for years. I won't say how many years, but years. And you're maybe confused or annoyed at some of the things that have changed and some of the things that some of these newer people want, you could sit in that or instead you could look and you could rejoice. The whole context of this letter is to rejoice in the good work that God is doing amongst newer people that he has brought to our church. Maybe you are that newer person and you've only been here for a couple of years. And you're confused and maybe annoyed at the status quo. Why do we do it that way? Why, why is everyone so hung up on this? You could sit in that. Or you could rejoice in the good work that has been done by these saints who have been in this church for many years and seek to learn from their wisdom and to understand. We need to know each other so that we can rejoice in each other. And in the work that God is doing in us and through us. Because there is far more that unites us than divides us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a perfect union. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are an example of what diversity and unity looks like. And so we look to you and we look to your power for any hope to imitate it, to have unity 
in the midst of division. To have cooperation in the midst of difference. We ask you for help in this, Father. That we could imitate you. That we could be conformed more and more to the image of your Son who came as a servant in the way that we serve others. Do what we ask, for we ask it in his name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, I invite you to stand and sing our next hymn, Come People.